Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Uh, today I'm chatting with Mike Dorian from Living Soil Solutions about uh, composting and setting up an urban farm in Calgary. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Mike, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you got into all this soil health stuff? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it would have been about 2011 or so. I, I finally got to be in an urbanite. I, I I finally got a chance to move to a place that I could have a garden and and somebody was like, "Hey, before you do that, you should take a course at the Calgary Gart or the the Calgary uh, Horticultural Society because you'll have to learn about Chinooks." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I went down there and took the course and and learned quite a bit, but then I met a lady there and I sure hope I run into her again because I can't remember who it was. But we were chatting and she told me to look into this um, this company called Verge Permaculture. And it was this, it was all about permaculture design and all that. And I went and checked their website and I was like, whoa, this is exactly kind of what I want to look into right now. So I had the opportunity to jump in on their design certificate, their next one. And it was out in Nelson for like a two-week intensive. So straight to Hippieville for... Uh, for a permaculture course that was very fitting and um and yeah that kind of got me immersed so I took a handful of courses uh, after that and then that fall they brought this gentleman named Doug Weatherby he was calling himself the soil doctor and he'd come up from Mexico um but he was a a, a dude that had actually originally grown up in Toronto and he did this four days of 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 soil and we talked about composting and compost extracts and teas and and then a lot of the biological portions of the soil and I was hooked and uh I I remember like writing in my little binder there like a a little truck with a tank on it and I'm like well I'm gonna start spraying people's yards and gardens and and um one of my good friends my family was in the same course with us and he had his four-year soil science degree and he was like whoa I learned more in these four days than I did in those four years. So that kind of helped like lay the gauntlet down of like, okay, all right. So I think I'm on the right track here. So I kind of put the word out. And then that spring, I started getting phone calls and uh, people were looking for, for some natural options for their, their fertilizing or, or amending their soil. And, and that's kind of where I started. That's awesome. All right. So I guess to start us off, um, what is compost and what sort of things does it do in, in soil? Oh, that's a big question there, Joanna. <laughs> I could talk on this for like half a day. Well, let's let's keep we'll try to keep it simple. So compost, <laughs> compost is essentially organic streams that are broken down so i'm not talking like certified organic i'm talking about living things so we're essentially taking death uh dead things and making life out of it again 
And essentially it becomes pretty close to something that would happen in a forest or, or a native prairie if we let it sit for multiple years. It becomes that kind of rich, crumbly soil or that humus that's kind of keeping soil um, correct. So that's definitely the key point is making sure that it's aerobic and it's alive. There are a couple ways of doing anaerobic styles of composting, but they're just a little bit different and you're, you're definitely getting a different substrate or a different product um, on the back end. So the main point is, is aerobic in life. And then putting it to use. So I think that for the longest time, we've seen people using compost just to kind of improve or increase their organic matter. But I think where, where we're going to start to see some more interest and more, um, more uses for compost, especially as, as people can start to showcase that it's just not rotted horse manure and or rotted cow manure or something like it. There's there's definitely some tests and and work that's put into it to showcase all the little critters and microbes in it. Then we can start to use it as more of an inoculant. So not just bringing that organic matter that helps feed the organisms and gives those organisms something to nibble on when they're not associating with the plant, but then also bringing that much more diversity of critters into the soil. So we talk about in some of the regenerative principles, the management styles of, of having crop diversity. Well, we also want to have diversity of organisms because then we're going to have a higher chance that that plant is going to have an organism in that soil profile that's going to be able to help in whatever condition that that plant's going to need, whether, you know, the pH starts to change or the moisture changes, or it gets too hot or too cold, or maybe it needs a certain nutrient or, or maybe a certain pathogen or pest comes in and it can start to keep it at bay. So the higher the diversity we have in the soil, the higher the chance we're going to have the organisms to do that. And, and good quality compost can have the opportunity to do that. Cool. Well, that makes sense. So I know, speaking of good quality compost, there, there are some specific requirements to kill things like weed seeds or pathogens or any of that sort of stuff, um, as well as just to produce something that's consistent. Um, so what are the requirements for good compost? Yeah, so when we, when we look at, um, at, at making sure that we're taking care of some of those those uh, stipulations, the best way to treat or manage your compost then would be to create uh, a thermophilic pile. And what that means is, is getting it up to a, a certain temperature. So we would call that hot composting. So that's basically whatever we're using to flip our pile and then making sure we have some kind of thermometer so that we can track the level of the heat that's being produced. And that heat is essentially coming from you know the organisms are reproducing they're getting down and dirty so they're going to produce a bit of heat you know <laughs> this is just one of those uh those uh off streams so when we get it above 55 degrees celsius i believe that's uh like kind of in the 140 160 fahrenheit range then what happens there is that's when we have a weed seed kill and then we'd also have pathogen kill so we're starting to um we're starting to essentially destroy anything that's going to be have a negative impact on putting it back into the soil. So once we get it up above that 55 degrees, weed seeds can handle it. 
it'll take out any of those fecal coliforms. So like salmonella or E. coli. So anything that uh, like a bacteria that would make us sick. So that 55 degrees would eliminate that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then depending on what kinds of feedstocks or ingredients that we're putting within our compost pile, we'd also then want to check on. Um, so this is mainly probably going to apply to more of like post-consumer organics, like stuff coming from restaurants or, or just people's houses. So there is a couple of um, farmers that are starting to work with more of that or, or doing that kind of composting on site like um, Stickland down by Sylvan. And then you're going to want to check for like contamination stuff, whether that's going to be a certain amount of plastics or metal or glass or anything like that, just so that you're not having high levels in case that does end up, um, you know, somebody getting cut or poked or, or a certain amount of other trash going back into to the soil where it's, it's supposed to go and fix the problem, not make it worse again. So. <laughs> And, and I'll give a little side note there because I know a few people have talked about, so that that's basically the only stipulations that you need to do right now to classify it. It'll give you like a class A or a class B rating to then be sold depending on whether it's being used for food or edibles or more for perennials and kind of um, reestablishment of plant material. But a few colleagues have put it out there that it would be neat because there's so many composts out there, but what is actually classifying them as a compost or not, or are they just more like organic matter? Cause like, you know, I've, I've had a few places that I've seen that are selling compost, but then they sterilize it before they sell it. So they don't have any life in it. So then what are the, then that's not really compost. So just to try to make those definitions, but also to maybe hold the whole industry or what compost is to a standard so that, you know, this is where we draw the line in the sand of what the quality needs to be. And then anything above that is, is, is golden so that that client is or, or that uh, composter is getting the value that they need. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So we go back. If a really simple way to kind of make sure that we have something that's quality is we can take what they call a cucumber test. So say you take like a hundred seeds and you use an amendment that you know that you'll get a certain amount of germination, then that product, if you want to sell it as compost, needs to get something similar. So say it was like 80%, you'd have to have 80% and then be like, okay, we've got good germination. That means we can get good seed um, seeds doing their thing, but then we'll be able to get a certain amount of energy out of that for the continued plant growth. And if they can't, then it's just organic matter. And then that would be kind of a real simple way to, to cut to the chase on that. Yeah. So another note, and you kind of touched on this, um, is that compost to be made out of a lot of different materials, whether that's cow manure or, you know, baked goods that have gone stale or (laughs) vegetables or whatever or dead stock like you you can put anything in there so do different ingredients I imagine they do affect nutrient content a little bit but do they have any sort of significant effects on like the effectiveness of the compost or maybe the applications you might use it for yeah 100% like that's why and the compost council of canada has been really adamant about this is like you know compost is not compost is not compost 
So it's going to depend on, on what kind of style of composting that you're doing. You know, are you doing an aerated static pile and you never really move the pile, you're just blasting air through it, or are you flipping it on a regular, or is it going through an anaerobic biodigester? Like those are very three different methods, but then also it's going to depend on what you're putting in there. So most compost piles kind of break down in, in kind of four ingredients. Like you need your oxygen, you need your water. So those are going to help those, those organisms do their thing. But then it breaks down into what either we call greens or browns. So those are the other ingredients, but I like to call them nitrogen and carbon. So the green would be nitrogen and the browns would be carbon because just to people will get really locked on colors and they'll take something like coffee grounds and be like, oh, it's brown in color, so it must be a brown. But it actually has a higher level of nitrogen to it, so it would be more of a nitrogen or a green source. Kind of, I call co coffee grounds like the urban manure. So if you're making a compost pile, say, just out of, um, you know, you're cleaning the pens and, you know, you've got maybe straw, hay, and manure in there, that is going to be a very different compost than say you're using wood chips and food waste with brewer grains and coffee grounds and maybe some, you know, cut grass and stuff in there. They're going to be very different. So yeah, they're going to have a different biological makeup to them, but then they're also going to have a, a different kind of nutrient breakdown too. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think in this world, as we move forward of, of, measuring our soil and measuring our compost then we can start to match up to fill in those those blanks where we're missing out right mm -hmm. and then even um like I, I i've got a friend who does uh, vermicomposting and he's got clients that are starting to look for okay well we need more calcium and more phosphorus in our soil for you know we're growing tomato plants so he's able to figure out different ingredients to feed the worms and that that nutrient shows up in a form in the end product in the worm castings that now they can they can get that better pull uh for their for their crops cool so that's when you can really start geeking out and like okay all right what do i need in here what can i add to my compost pile to to make sure that it's locked up in that that product afterwards. Yeah, that's really cool. I know we've started to see a lot of compost teas around. We've actually got a fella who's doing some of this vermiculture and making his own compost teas. We're actually doing some data collection on it, but we just started on that last year, so I'm <laughs> keen to see what that ha what happens there. Yeah, but, that's cool. Yeah. But on that note, can you talk about like why you might use a compost tea as opposed to like a solid compost or even worm castings? Yeah, for sure. So when using um, the compost or just the straight castings, the, the added bonus that you're going to get out of that instead of using it as an extract or a tea would be you are getting that organic matter. So you're getting some more physical um, biomass that you're adding to your soil or, or to your plot. Where I, I think the extracts and the teas are going to become a lot more popular is just one, um, it's going to come down to, okay, do you have the equipment? Most farmers already have some kind of a liquid uh, package equipment to, to spray stuff out. 
So there's not much tweaking there to, to change those. Um, but then it, it, it's going to be a lot more cost effective too. Like I've got a, uh, I've got a couple farmer buds out by Westlock that are, you know, they're spreading out 10 ton on a field, but uh, they have the equipment to do that because that's actually a service that they provide. But maybe, you know, not everybody might have a manure spread or anything like that. And, and maybe that's just more of a, you know, that barn raising kind of mentality of farmers helping farmers in the communities a little bit more and not going, well, you're doing something different than me. And I don't want to talk to you because you're a weirdo. But, like, <laughs> you know, we're all trying to, to grow stuff together. So sometimes it's just going to be done a little differently. So the, the, the teas and extracts are going to be a little bit. So the extracts are really good for doing more of a um a soil soak so really good in the beginning of the season and maybe at the end of the season to help with uh residue breakdown and then the compost teas are really good where you can start to get a bit more of stickiness within the solution so that it works better as a foliar application so i think the fun with it is one you can start to add in ingredients into the solution to change what you're looking for again um, depending on what the crop needs and to help protect them from different uh, uh, diseases and, and pests and, and pathogens as well. But then, um, you know, you can also tweak it on the biological side on um, depending on what you want to try to tweak for, you know, are, are you switching into to more of a perennial crop or are you or are you going to put in a forage that you want to to last a couple of years instead of annuals so then you can start to tweak what that looks like and change the succession of the the land a little bit quicker too so i think just the liquid side is just a little bit more bang for your buck um so yeah you get a little bit more tailored let's use that you can tailor it a little bit differently for your needs so right. i think that's always a bonus for farmers because you know, you never know things are changing so quickly. For sure. Yeah. Well, and every farm's a little bit different. Exactly. Right. It all comes down to context, doesn't it? For sure. I guess from there, the next natural question is, what do you think is kind of the most important thing for people to know when they're getting into composting or vermiculture or even these, these teas for their, for their soil health? Yeah. The biggest one is the, the testing side and always keep notes. I've been, I've been adamant about this is like, keep notes so that, you know, if you did something and it worked, then at least then you can go back in your notes and go, Oh, this is what I did. Or, or this is the ratios of, of ingredients that I used or how come my, all my worms died? It was like, Oh, I put this in. Maybe, maybe it wasn't right for them or something. Right. <laughs> Yep. So the, the, the note taking and, and then the testing just to, so just to make sure that you're doing your due diligence. And I, I think this is, and you could probably speak on this as well. I, I'm starting to see definitely it's becoming more of a, an annual biannual or, or even multiple times throughout the season, just the, from soil sampling to, you know, doing t tissues or sap analysis and that kind of stuff that, we're, most farmers are starting to get a bit of a baseline of where they're at and 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 creating some end goals of where they can take it. So I, mm -hmm. I would do the same thing with the compost and, and the teas and stuff like that as well. That makes sense. It just makes me think of, uh, I think it's Adam Savage. Yeah, if you're not, 
if you're fucking around and you take notes, then it's research. But if you just fuck around and don't take notes, then it's just fucking around. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so I guess now we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about this other project that you're part of um, that I think is really interesting because you're part of the Highfield Regenerative Farm, which started in 2019 on a vacant lot in Calgary. <laughs> And you guys are growing food. I saw you've got a greenhouse going up over there. Like, can you tell me a bit about that project and how it got started? Yeah, you bet. So Highfield Regenerative Farm kind of was, it, it started as a, as a pilot program with the city of Calgary, um, part of their Calgary Eats program. So essentially looking at kind of food sovereignty, but then also like food desert and distribution side of things within within urban communities so you could you can do like this map and like find out where all these grocery stores are but then there's certain communities that don't have as much access and it's mainly just convenience stores and stuff so so how can we change that within the space of the city so we ended up partnering with the the compost council of canada as our nonprofit for the project and we put in and and we got it and it's one of their larger parcels. So the city has multiple of these that they would like to slowly transition over. But the idea was to take vacant land that's within the city limits, that's not doing anything. So there's a lot, which is crazy to me, or maybe they're spending money on cutting grass or spraying weeds for nobody's use, which is crazy to me as well. And so we're doing soil rejuvenation. That's another good reason why we partnered with the Compost Council of Canada. So how can we compost um, local or decentralized waste streams within the area to rejuvenate that land? And then let's grow food there. So that's a big part of what we're doing there as well. And then let's build community around that. So more people coming together, getting their hands in the soil dealing with local waste streams, um, learning about how to take care of the soil, how to keep it healthy, but then, then how that relationship works in growing good, healthy plants. And then what can we do with those plants besides just eat them? Well, we can share and, uh, and, and give them out to others that might not be able to, to, to have the, the affordability or access to them as well. And then that just even tightens and, and broadens that experience. And so, yeah, it's been one heck of a project, let me tell you. But um, it's it's been going really, really good. Uh, we're in the aspect of, of um, uh, putting in our application to, to actually do like a full-scale compost operation there, just to showcase what like a mid-scale operation would look like. Because there's lots of little tiny ones and then really massive ones, but there's not that many kind of in the middle side of things. And then we've got a good garden plot where we get tons of volunteers coming out and, and um, lots of students coming and, and volunteering and helping with different things. We've got beehives on site. So that's an opportunity for people to come and chuck on the suits and get familiar and more comfortable with the bees. And, and then we've got... Um, We've got a lady that is, uh, she grows mushrooms and, and kind of microgreens and, and greens for restaurants. But then she set up a big hoop house growing edible flowers, like all kinds of different edible flowers. It's so beautiful. 
And uh, then we, yeah, and then we, with Agri-Food Canada last year, we won a grant to get a, a greenhouse. So we've got a greenhouse set up and it took a little longer to get all the bells and, and uh, whistles kind of in place and, and permits and all that kind of thing. But we were able to start getting plants in there kind of um, early March. And uh, yeah, it's so neat to kind of, to walk in there now and, and to feel the humidity that's starting to produce in there. and and the smells and the the lushness so that's going to be kind of our teaching space slash um, growing space and then be able to use that as kind of a workshop education thing too because uh, um, we can start to showcase just growing in soil but then all the different ways of growing too vertically and hydroponically and um, uh, aeroponically and then what's the other one with the with the, the fish um, aquaponics so just being able to show all the different methods so that it, you know, that'll again come down to context. If people want to come down and they only have so much space or they have an idea of what they want to do, now they can kind of play with it and, and see it real world and get their hands a little bit dirty and, and go with it. So it's been a lot of fun and and um, we, we have the, uh, you know, quite a few little events. Like at the end of the month, we're having a mud fest because actually one of our members is um, they're called common digs and uh, they run like a nature kind of kindergarten and preschool. So the kids get to like, just like hang outside and, and uh, do their learning and stuff that way. So they they're building forts and stuff in the little forest and everything. But yeah, we're having a mud fest. We're encouraging people to come and get downright dirty. Uh, there's going to be like a mud pit and a mud slide, mud kitchens and stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And um Oh, and then the one really huge success, success that we've seen from this so far, like we donate a lot of food to different food security groups. And that, that's always a, a beautiful thing. But we started, and this is just because I'm more of a geek on it, but to tie in what we were chatting about earlier, we started a compost club. So we just had people coming out, wanted to learn how to make compost. And we had a few of us that were quite um, keen on, on showcasing that and, and teaching that. And now a few of them have just taken it completely over and they started like a, a compost co-op and they're starting to do workshops and stuff. But it's a group that comes almost two to three times a week now to the farm and is turning and making compost piles. They did almost 21 tons of compost last year. And when you get a, a group of, you know, 15 to 20 people showing up each time, you can flip a compost pile pretty darn quick, let me tell you. Yeah, I bet. So it, it that has been so cool to see. And that's the really neat side where you can start to see people coming together over commonality and just sharing space and laugh and 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 fun and and knowledge and uh and making compost at the same time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we call them talk talking turns. You get together <laughs> and talk and turn a pile. There you go. That's awesome. So on the compost note, I guess, so the farm's set up on some vacant ground, and I imagine that means it's pretty tough as soil goes. So what kind of changes have you seen in soil on the site while you've been working there, just growing stuff and doing compost? Yeah, so that is a neat portion of, of this plot of land that we took over. So it was actually classified as what's called a brownfield. So because the property was um, labeled as industrial commercial and they were unsure of some of the history of it, 
they kind of, for liability reasons, has to call it a brownfield. So we're not actually growing in the ground um, as of yet. Mm-hmm. So what we've done to start to to remediate and rejuvenate the soils, we covered m- majority of the site in six inches minimum of wood chips. So that that becomes our barrier between um, kind of the dead, beat up, compacted dirt that's there. Uh, now we get to a mass that starts to hold moisture. We've inoculated. I spray a lot of it with um, extracts and stuff too, so that we can start to increase that decomposition and get some life in there. And then we put soil in our compost as beds on top of that. It's been interesting and a good experience to learn because you'll see that in some people's backyards. This has become a a common thing of um, like lasagna gardening or lasagna mulching, where they put multiple layers of organic matter on top of the existing grass to then start their garden instead of like tilling it all up and starting fresh that way. So we're doing something similar that way. And um, I'm, I'm going to be planting out a couple trial plots this year using uh, different cover crops on the existing native soil that's there. So not much of soil, but then adding a little bit of a layer of compost and then putting some stuff on top. Uh, for co- cover crop seeds and then just see what kind of a difference that can make within a within a season mm-hmm. and then areas that have had mulch on it for a couple of years now start digging those up and see has the compaction layers changed have we started to build some organic matter is there even some some biological life in there to to see how fast that can get changed but um also a way to use a ton of wood chips that uh, arborists are bringing us all the time. <laughs> That's neat. So I guess on that note, what's kind of on your list of goals for the, for that site in the next couple of years? Yeah, for goals. So the big one will be, or two big ones will be to get that greenhouse going as like a full on system. So it's been a learning curve for a lot of us. A few of us have had some experience with greenhouses, but just to, to really get familiar with it and what we could get done in there on, mm-hmm. um, I guess, more affordable side, because as we all know, the price of natural gas and all that has gone quite up. But I've been in chats with some guys on doing, because we're getting the wood chips, does it make sense to use a boiler system um, burning wood chips? And then, you know, then that's just kind of a biomass side of things because we're collecting it as a waste stream anyway. Or do we go geekier and create large compost piles and pull heat from that to to help mitigate some of the heat in the greenhouse for the winter? There's a, a cool company out of um, out of Vermont that's doing some of that. So, you know, we've got some connection pieces there. So that would be really fun. Um get that compost facility done and and making some compost would be high on my list and then just a little side one because when we took this piece of property over it didn't have any infrastructure in for water or power (laughs) so we were able to bring power over from the one road and um, there was a pole already there so we were lucky that was existing it was expensive but it kind of had to be done but then we don't also have water infrastructure. So we've right. been pulling water from fire hydrants and then filling tanks and running hoses and stuff all over the place. So it would be really nice to maybe get to 
plan in place with the company to assist us with that um, and then fundraise for putting that in because I think once we had that in place, then we can accept so many more members and stuff to come in and make use of the space because right now water's been our biggest kind of holdback mm-hmm. just because of how much time and labor it takes to do that. And and we only have so many volunteers that show up. You kind of have to focus them on whether it's taking care of the plants or the soil or, or uh, moving water around a lot too. So. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, is there anything we've missed that you'd like to discuss before we kind of wrap up here? No, nothing yet. Or, or maybe I'll, I'll give a shameless plug for a program that I'm working on with the, the compost council. So we're, we're putting together this program called the Soil Safari. So it's essentially taking a lot of the visual soil assessment kind of ideas and t- turning it into a workshop to make it fun and educational for adults and kids to get their hands dirty, but more comfortable with, with recognizing what their soil is, what is soil, and how can we keep it at that level that, that will tie into those points that... Um, are are aligned with regenerative agriculture's management principles right Mm -hmm. so i think that's going to be kind of a fun thing i'm going to put it out to all you research groups there once uh, i get it going and see if we can't do that as a regular to to just take some of this stuffy you know oh soil so boring but make it a little bit more fun and approachable to get all kinds of people at different levels because the soil is so important and compost is definitely a, a really good way to give back to it. But um, mm-hmm. I think like I have my little tagline is soil doesn't like to be treated like dirt, but you know, <laughs> how many times do we, we kind of forget about it, but it's like our main resource of everything. So especially as a farmer and, and uh, we just need to get more people familiar with that, especially in the big cities. Because I definitely see, I definitely see the discrepancies between uh, my rural friends, my urban friends, that's for sure. I bet. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. All righty. Well, thank you very much for recording this episode with me. Um, If people are looking for more info on the Highfield Farm or composting in general, do you have some resources or sites that they should look up? Yeah, they can um, check out highfieldfarm.ca. Uh, and then I believe on Instagram, it's Highfield Regenerative Farm. And then uh, we're at uh, Living Soil Solutions or livingsoil.ca. Council of, of Canada's site is compost.org. And there's a ton of info and resources on there as well. And that's Compost Council of Canada? Sorry, you cut it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, Compost Council of Canada. You betcha. Perfect. Well, that's awesome. I will drop the links to those down in the description of the podcast so people can check them out. And yeah, thank you very much for doing this. I learned some things about compost today, so that's exciting. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Joanna. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.